Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bachman, a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we explore who the real Jesus is, with his love, with his power, and with his endless pursuit of humanity, with the hope of changing our lives. Good morning. Today we'll be reading John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across to the Jordan, to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Rewinding back to earlier, the phrase, Jewish leaders ask, Why are you keeping us in suspense? Tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. If you've been listening with us for weeks now, you realize again, this is a ridiculous statement. Jesus has been telling them. He's often told them that he is God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that God and the prophets have been preparing for. And yet they still refuse to believe. And then when he does tell them, yet again, the Jewish leaders want to pick up stones to kill him. This is a reminder for myself that although I've often been showing how the Pharisees are, have hardened hearts and are being difficult and kind of ridiculous, that Jesus is, and sometimes Jesus pushes back strongly, Jesus is evidently so patient with them. He still has conversations with them. He's still trying to point them to the truth. Even though these are his enemies, Jesus is loving them and being really patient with them and continuing to engage with them. 
as a counselor, this is a good reminder that although boundaries are really helpful and good, they also have to be done in a loving way. They aren't boundaries if they're not done in love. And as a Christian, I would argue the purpose of boundaries should be for the other person's growth and restoration, as well as the initiating person's needs. What do I mean by that? Well, we could use a couple of examples. Some might seem extreme, but they're to drive the heart of the point across. Take an example of someone who refuses to talk respectfully and does name calling or just really painful, hurtful statements, like citing those as the example and saying, hey, like, you can't talk to me that way. If you're unable to follow that boundary, I'm going to have to not be able to answer your phone calls or your texts or even block you for a month, two months, three months, whatever, because it's not good for you to treat another human being like that, and it's not good for me to let you treat me like that. But do you see that the heart can't just be like, screw you, I'm done with you, get out of my way, get out of my life, versus man, if I just let you continue to trample me or other people, that isn't loving. It's not loving to say, hey, it's okay to just treat people like garbage. You'll probably get fired someday. You might lose a lot of friends and damage relationships if no one says anything. It's setting someone up for success to say, hey, this isn't appropriate behavior. <laughs> Similar but different example, say you're in a fight with a loved one, with your spouse, and saying, I or we, we need to take a quick break because we're getting too escalated. It's setting a boundary to preserve and take care of the relationship. You know, someone could use it wrong and say, no, just stop talking. And the, the like, oh, I'm setting a boundary, but like the passive message is, shut up, versus like, no, man, I care about us, and we're both struggling. And that's even dignifying language to say we're both struggling, instead of just say, hey, you're messed up, you need to take a break. Boundaries aren't something that we just get to dictate and decide everything for our own pure benefit. Boundaries are supposed to be in the context of the good of both people for restoration and for a point. Obviously, there are times where extreme boundaries make sense. If someone violates a sexual boundary, it's okay to say, hey, I'm never going to talk to you again. I can never see you again. You have broken trust to a significant degree. So again, a lot of this, at least for me, is inspired in the context of seeing how Jesus works with his enemies. You know, it's so easy in today's climate to just get rid of someone, block someone, and not talk to them because they're frustrating, because they're difficult. And yet Jesus, again, tells us to love our enemies. And he shows us this by these people who are trying to trap him, who are trying to hurt him, who hate him, who are twisting his words, and yet he still is engaging with them and still loving them. And yes, there are many dynamics that aren't going to be a parallel one-for-one one of like how Jesus functioned, how we function, and we could probably do a mini-series, honestly, on all the nuances. But at least for now, I just wanted to highlight how amazing it is that Jesus pursues his enemies, engages with them, and doesn't just write them off. <laughs> Man, that is convicting. I don't know how I could have any of the kind of patience that Jesus did with these people and how they're interacting with him. It's a reminder that 
uh, not as a cop-out statement, but as a truly genuine, Jesus, I need you to help me love my enemies. I need you to give me wisdom and how to talk to people that are difficult, but then also not be self-deceived and not think that I'm not difficult. Oh my gosh, like marriage is such a tool of sanctification. I was just talking with a friend yesterday, actually, and how we both agreed that before, (laughs) so funny, before marriage, we were uh, deluded and thinking, man, like we're actually pretty good. We've grown so much. We're like way better than we used to be as teenagers or young adults. And both realizing that as we got married, uh, we realized how incorrect and false, right? So sure, we had grown, but we got self uh, puffed up and deluded and thinking, man, I'm pretty great. Yeah, until you live with another human being and around them all the time and you realize how selfish you are and inconsiderate and egocentric and all the different things, right? And you can easily, and as a marriage counselor, I see this, blame your spouse. You find, you know, instead of going inward and saying, man, what is my responsibility and my nastiness that's coming out because of this relationship and how I'm failing, it's so easy to just look to the other, whether looking at their faults because you don't want to look at your own or even projecting your own frustration, pain, and failure onto them because you don't want to deal with it and just say, gosh, man, I suck. And I mean that in the most loving way, right? This isn't like shame, but it's like, I can honestly say, man, I'm kind of a dumpster fire. And that's what's so amazing is that even though I, we are dumpster fires, Jesus pursues and loves us and doesn't give up on us. Again, this is an echo to maybe difficult to read passages in Romans when we get to them, but talking about how we all are enemies of God at first. We aren't kind. We aren't good. We don't have this ability on our own to be morally perfect. We fail the test every, not even day, every moment, right? Like I I was, again, just talking with a friend and the idea of one of my many favorite uh, reasons for God is that you could ask anyone on this earth about their own value and moral system And if you were to follow them around or they were to genuinely, authentically, and honestly carry a microphone around and see every time they failed their own standards, we can't even live up to our own standards. It's amazing. But then instead of like serving a a, a God, a false God that claims like you have to be perfect, you have to get it all right all the time, and if you you don't, I'm going to punish you, like sweet Jesus, like He knows that we are not enough. And instead of saying, oh my gosh, guys, like you have to get it right. He says, come to me. I will make you clean. I will give you that perfection that you cannot attain for yourself. It's the most equitable, non-shaming, beautiful, dignifying, uplifting faith in God. Back to the text. I'm sure I'm reading into it in some level But I love verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Specifically that no one will snatch them, I'm thinking no condemnation, no shame, no falsehood, like no one can take you away from God. And even a Christian who struggles with shame and condemnation their whole life 
and the ultimate story when you pass from death to life, condemnation and shame cannot follow you. They cannot get you. The Father keeps us safe. Now, I don't have a full understanding of the next line, so we're going to have some grace here. Um, Jesus says, haven't I said that you are God's? He's referencing Psalm 82.6. Now, obviously, we are not uh, God's in the sense of like self-sustainable, uh, ultimate authority, ultimate moral power. Um, I wonder and am guessing that he's referencing, or David in the Old Testament is referencing this idea that we are children of God. We are brothers of Jesus. We are brought into this divine family. We're not like God in his omnis, his omnipresence, omnipotence, and the like, but we are like God and that we're made in his image. And there's mysteries and glories to that that we don't even understand yet. I know there's another passage that talks about angels long to look into the experience of being human. I mean, if angels are like not like bad jealous, but like wholly jealous, like, oh man, like it's so exciting. These human beings get something special. Like I would imagine there's things that we don't even understand yet about what it's like to be children of God. As we're close to wrapping up today, one of the last parts that stands out to me is this, uh, the last verse. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. I'm surprised how many times that phrase is said in this gospel, right? So we've seen so much conflict, disagreement, trying to trap Jesus, uh, difficult conversations, and yet consistently many people are believing in Jesus and putting their faith in him. Again, I'm probably putting too much current cultural context on this, Uh, as this was written 2,000 years ago. But I wonder if the principle remains that even though it can seem, uh, and often is, so much challenge against faith and disagreement and and frustration and whatnot, God is still working, right? Like, I'm sure the disciples could have easily been like, "Uh, okay, so we're putting our faith in this Jesus, but like all of our leaders hate him. And if they hadn't seen or heard people also believing in him, I wonder how discouraging that that could have been. It already was discouraging at times. So at least personally, I'm taking away from this that even though there can be so much uh, resistance or fight or it doesn't look like God is on the move, God also is always on the move. He's always working. And it's sad, like my cynical side even can say, well, that's just silly. You can just tell yourself that. And I'm thankful that I can remember so many times in life where I have been cynical and said, how is God working or moving in a certain situation? And then months or years go by, and sometimes I get a whole nother perspective uh, on what was actually going on from a conversation, seeing someone change, whatever, seeing myself change, whatever. Um, And so that's why it's also good and neat to have some kind of like testimonial scrapbook, if you will. That reminds you of moments where it seems so hopeless or empty or like God wasn't doing anything, but then over time you see that he was working deeply and meaningfully. That wraps up our episode for today. It means a lot to me if you're able to review and rate these podcasts. It does help 
more visibility on the different websites. That would mean a lot to me. As well as comments, sharing, likes, all that stuff. Cheat the algorithm. Let's work together uh, to make more life-giving, meaningful things out in the social media uh, vortex. All that to say, thanks so much for listening, and I can't wait to connect with you again.